Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Headstock with me, Lane Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. It's all about the maritime industry today at Heads Talk, a first for this podcast and really excited about this conversation ahead. My guest today is a leader in this space, having spent 30 years in the sector. We will obtain great insights into this world as well as gain some valuable data about the shipping vessels of the future. This is a continuation of the new series on Heads Talk today with a look at the shipping industry as they implement new sustainable solutions for the drive to net zero emissions by 2050. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Bird Capital. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Mikhail Bo is the chairman and CEO of Core Power, a maritime executive with three decades of experience from floor to board level in shipping, finance and the technology industry. Interesting combination and fitting for the age we are living in, Mikhail has had previous roles to include senior executive in international deep sea shipping, having served as chief risk officer for both Eagle Bulk Shipping in New York and Torresen Thai Agency in Singapore. Today, Mikhail plays a role in the development and deployment of a new generation of reactor technologies as a solution for ocean transport to meet the emissions reduction targets. And what's great for this series is that Mikhail has extensive expertise in maritime risk management technology and finance and has a unique understanding of both the mechanics and dynamics of the challenges posed by shifting from combustion engine powers to advanced atomic power at sea. Additionally, he has detailed knowledge of commercial vessel operation across tankers, dry bulk and container ship industries, including vessel construction, operations, chartering, maintenance, decommissioning and maritime regulations. Mikhail is a native Norwegian and holds an MBA from Aston University in the UK. Let's hear from Mikhail himself about this very fascinating maritime inclusion into this series. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mikhail to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Elaine. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Now, um, the shipping world doesn't escape the decarbonisation drive. In fact, it is said that shipping is responsible for 90% of the world's trade and accounts for 3% of global greenhouse gas emissions, according to EDF, the Environmental Defence Fund. So there is a big target here that can reduce emissions considerably. This is where you come in, um, Mikhail, and, and once again, it's really great to have you here to enlighten my listeners about some of the some of the stuff that's going on. Let's start with this. Um, based on what I've read somewhere with my layman understanding of things, that perhaps atomic energy is the answer to the shipping decarbonisation quandary. Is that the case? Well, like most things, Elaine, it's partly the case. Um, the... The issue that shipping has, I mean, as, you, as, you, as you just said, you know, it's responsible for the carriage of about 90% of, of all export, exported goods, you know, commodity supply chains, um, industrial uh, components and, and durable consumer goods. I mean, most things move at sea. It's an, it's an essential part of, of, of the global economy. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, there are you've got to, you've got to, you've got to think about this in layers, right? We've got roughly a hundred thousand ships out at sea, you know, from the smallest ones to the biggest ones. And out of those hundred thousand ships, which are responsible, as we say, for about three percent of global emissions, which you know isn't isn't the largest number, but it's a significant number. Mm-hmm. Um, about twenty percent of those are responsible for about eighty percent of all the emissions. So you can imagine the sort of size differences, right? Mm-hmm. You've got everything from a, what's effectively a, a you know a trawler to the largest tankers and drug drug uh, carriers. So twenty percent responsible for about eighty percent of the emissions, and seven percent of those are responsible for about fifty percent of the emissions. So mm-hmm. you know this idea that all ships are equal, but some are more equal than others, just doesn't uh, doesn't quite doesn't quite tally here. So there is a sector of this industry that is extremely hard to move out of the kind of power system that they run today. So if you want to. You want to change the propulsion systems on a very large ship. You know the one thing that you have to have is you have to have resilience. You know, ships are on their own; they're out at sea. It's uh, it's impossible to change power providers if you like. You can't switch to another energy source. You know you're an island. You have to be able to rely on what you've got. And the only the only actual true zero carbon energy source that we have, you know, is that's alternative to, to fossil fuels is is nuclear. Um, and you know the issue. The issue with nuclear, as it's been witnessed over all these decades of using it as a as a land-based resource, and of course, you know the, the navies use this technology. Mm-hmm. But the but but the issue with nuclear is that you know it's not something that um, we can use for everything, and the nuclear technologies that we have today are really the same old nuclear technologies that were developed in the 50s and 60s and 70s, you know, in the time of the slide rule. Uh, and and they're, they're extraordinary. I mean, you know, the, the safety record of these machines, uh, you know, it's extraordinary. The, the, the amount of waste that they leave behind is, is tiny compared to pretty much anything else that's out there. But, you know, we've got to think differently, I think, Elaine. I think what we've got to do is we've got to think about you know, the correct, rather than thinking about how atomic can solve the problem for shipping, it's really how shipping can use atomic to solve its problem. And there are two key things there. One is decarbonization, which of course is on everybody's lips these days. But, you know, the cost of decarbonization is one that is potentially exist- an existentialist threat for the industry. You, you, you know, if you're going to have ships that are, are doing, uh, you know, um, you know, getting a third of the energy for three times the price. I mean, we're sort of moving in the wrong direction. And the advantage of these new atomic technologies that are being developed is that you kind of go the other way. You go in the the right direction. You're now moving towards an energy system that is very efficient. It's very easy to operate. And it can give you a lot more power for a lot longer. And you can do more with it. So in addition to, if you like, the advantage of being able to to, to emit nothing, which is nice. I mean, that's kind of where we want to go. You actually have that competitive advantage by having ships that are a little faster, that can carry more cargo, and that can do it for longer. So we get that sort of increase in standards. We get that increase in, 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 in the economic value of these vessels. And we start to transform, if you like, that value chain, that so the supply chains and the value chains of industrial components and, and commodities, et cetera, that we all rely on from this industry. So I do think it's the answer, but it's the answer to a specific segment of this industry. The, the, the second part of that answer is that, you know, we can use this technology to very cheaply and effectively make um, 
synthetic fuels for the other ships that are out there. So if you take the 7,000 larger ships that are responsible for 50% of the emissions and convert them to nuclear carriers, if you like, or this advanced atomic technologies that we're developing, and then you have floating production plants, you have um, you know, offshore refineries, if you like, converting seawater into hydrogen, which then combined with nitrogen to make fuels like ammonia or other materials you can make into methanol that you can use in existing combustion engines, then you're starting to transform that whole sector. So I'm very hopeful, actually, that this is, you know, this is a, this is going to be an exciting 30 years until 2050. You know, people are mm -hmm. you know, afraid that it's going to be very chaotic and, and difficult. But I think, you know, with these new technologies and with, with the amazing things that we've, we've seen that they can do, I mean, I think we have a bright, we have a bright future ahead of us. All right. So you wouldn't say there is a, a safety issue there? Lovely thing about this particular. So, um, really, what I should do is to tell you a little bit about the technology that we're talking about. We're not talking about nuclear, conventional nuclear, the way that we have it today. We're talking about a new generation of machines here that, you know, are, you know, just take away all those safety concerns that exist around nuclear. This idea that you have a high, so in a conventional nuclear, you have a very high pressure inside of the reactors, and you have a very um, if you like, inefficient way of, of consuming the energy and the fuel that goes into them. So not only do you have, you know, in the event of an accident, like we've seen on you know, very few occasions, but we have seen those accidents, you get that sort of expulsion of, of, of um, radioactive toxicity going into the air, which can spread. With these new reactors, which are liquid-fueled molten salt reactors, you, you, you just don't... That, you know, that, that's not present. That's just not physically possible with these machines. And the fact that liquid means that they can't melt down. You've got the fuel that can consistently circulate inside a closed system. And you end up, you know, consuming the vast majority of all the energy in this fuel. And imagine, you know, this is fuel that's got 5 million times more energy in it than diesel and coal mm -hmm. without emitting anything, which is, which is fantastic. So the amount of, the amount of, you know, waste footprint that we have at the end of this thing is, is absolutely tiny. I mean, take the larger ships, right? take a, take a, 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 a 300,000 ton ship, the largest oil tank, for example, will use no more than 250 kilos mm -hmm. of the actual fuel. And of course, then leave behind eventually 250 kilos of waste at the end of 20, 25 years of operation. That's about the size of a small briefcase, Elaine. And we, yeah, can, we, we can handle that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's quite minuscule when, when you put it like that. Yeah, okay. absolutely. We're going to continue with atomic energy, but, but actually tell me, because, you know, during my search, I sort of look at these things and something pops up and I, I want to ask you about this. If you could tell my listeners about the new concept of nuclear batteries, um, how is this producing? Can this be used in ships, shipping in any form? That's an interesting, interesting um, concept because, you know, a battery is a specific type of technology so the, you know calling these these small reactors these small molten salt reactors batteries is, is sort of a way of trying to to, to reconceptualize if you like the company you know the, the idea that we can use nuclear power in in in, in small scale um so so they the, the reason they function they, they're not actually batteries but they function like batteries in the sense that you fuel them for the life of the assets that you want to power. So in, in shipping, you have different lifespans for different types of ships. Now, traditionally, mm -hmm. what you have is you have the tankers, they have about 20 year life cycle, and then they get scrapped. 
with dry cargo carriers, you know, carrying grain and coal and iron ore and, and minor bulks, you have about 25 years of life. Container ships and cruise ships go on for longer, maybe 30 years. And that's just the standard that's standards that we have today. So if you think about these, the, these lifespans, really what happens with, with large ships is that they stop every, say, every month and fuel up their tanks. And, and the largest ships will burn, the largest container ships will burn, you know, anything north of 200 tons of fuel a day. And this is the kind of sludge that's left over in the oil refining process, you know, the sort of toxic carcinogenic sludge at the end of the oil refining process that gets sold off as marine fuels. It's cheap, efficient, of course, it's highly polluting because there's so much carbon and residue in there. And, you know, for each tonne of bunker fuel, as they're called, gets burnt, we emit about 3.2 tonnes of CO2. So 200 tonnes a day on a large container ship is 600, and, 600 plus tonnes a day of, of carbon dioxide, which goes into the air and which, you know, carries on. And there's thousands of these ships out there. Now, with these, the, the idea that the sort of the battery idea here is that because these molten salt reactors can be fueled, can be operated, fueled and operated in such a way that we can effectively get a full 30-year life cycle out of a single fuel load. I mean, effectively, we, we get a lot more. We can recycle that fuel and use it in the next generation of reactors, you know, again and again and again. It goes on. Um, but but we, we, can, we, can make the, we can make the machines resilient for a 30-year um, life cycle. Effectively, means that you sort of plug these things in and you leave them there. And that those ships then, you know, travel around for, for 30 years, um, some intermediate maintenance, et cetera, but of course, without having to refuel them, without emitting anything. So, you know, you do get that sort of, sort of battery effect, if you like, the, without them being batteries. Remember, these are small, right? These yeah, are, yeah, you yeah. talk, talk about something about the size of, uh, the bigger than my office, my office isn't particularly big. <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 it's great. And the other thing that's important to remember here is that, you know, when you talk about when you talk about nuclear, people think you know that's that's like an unknown area. It's actually really quite simple. This, I mean, you have a you have a small machine with a liquid fuel inside it that makes heat, and that heat is very high temperature, it's 600, 650 degrees. That gets converted into um, into electricity by turbines connected to the reactor. So you have heat exchangers that make move that heat into turbines, and those turbines spin and make electricity. So what you have here is an electric ship. And that's quite a transformation for the industry because electric ships, think of electric vehicles, right? I mean, you can, yeah. you, can re you can rethink the way they work. You don't have to have the same old configuration. You don't have to have the same old you know, performance criteria. They're just, they're just different. They, they're, they're more efficient. They go faster. They can do it for longer. Of course, you don't have fuel tanks. You don't have smokestacks. You don't have the sort of pollution that you know, hurt people um, that, that comes out of these ships. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a... It's a it's a winning concept, and I think it's something that you know when we when we get this into the market and we start demonstrating how this is going to work, there's going to be a there's going to be an aha moment. I think I'm trying to get my head around the sort of the 30 year lifespan, but uh, um, we will return to um, atomic energy. But now let's look at other options and solutions. Um, what other solutions are offered and or explored in the maritime industry? What's not yet been commercialized? Well, so, you know, you go back to this point I made early on, Elaine, where you, you, you've got to remember that 
the resilience in the energy on board a large ship is the most important thing. You have to be able to rely on it. You don't want ships drifting and you know, oil tankers, for example, you know, losing power and drifting onto shore, you know, crashing onto the rocks and spilling oil. That, it, it's, it's something that we've had way too much of, and, and you know, the industry is extremely good at avoiding those things. One of the ways it does avoid it is having reliable propulsion systems on board. So that's the number one safety criteria, if you like. You have to have something reliable. Mm-hmm. Now, combustion engines are remarkably reliable. They are, you know, the technology that we've been using for 110 years and have been improving for 110 years. I mean, modern marine engines are the most extraordinary things. I mean, they're mm-hmm. cheap to buy, they're easy to maintain, they're incredibly reliable. You know, they're in a dynamic environment. They're always moving around, you know, vibrating, pitching, rolling, mm-hmm. these kind of things. And they still function extremely well. So, you know, it's a hard, it's a, it's a hard competition to beat, if you like. The only... The, the, the only other way that people are, are, I think, to be fair, it's the, the only other way we can think about this. Remember, there's only so much energy, only so many energy sources that, that we have available to us on this planet. Um, you have this idea of a drop in fuel. You can take an existing um, you know, uh, marine engine or a turbine, if you like, a gas turbine, and you can then substitute the fuel with something that doesn't emit as much greenhouse gas emissions or as much carbon dioxide. But if you're combusting, you're always going to be emitting. There's just no way around it. I mean, if you burn something, you know, mm-hmm. it, it turns into smoke. Um, so, so I think the, the most likely sort of next step for the industry is to move towards natural gas or methane, as as as, as is, you know should be called, um, where you're using that in gas turbines. You get a sort of 25-30% reduction in, in, in CO2, but you get a lot more greenhouse gas emissions that come out. Mm-hmm. So, swapping one thing from the other. The idea that you can move towards then hydrogen-based fuels, I think it's an interesting one, but the issue with moving towards hydrogen-based fuels is that hydrogen itself, you know, it's the simplest yes. of all of the elements that, that we have in this in this universe, and it's the one that, you know, it doesn't exist on its own. It's always bound to something else. So we have to split that hydrogen either from hydrocarbons, oil and gas, or we have to split it from water, you know, H2O, so we've got, you know, two hydrogen atoms and an oxygen molecule, and then there you have, we have, we have, we can do it from water. But to do so takes a huge amount of energy. In fact, it takes more energy to split hydrogen from water than you can store in the hydrogen that you would then want to use for something. So you have this kind of dichotomy, this dilemma, if you like, that, that says, well, it would be nice to use hydrogen because it doesn't, you know, its waste product is basically water. If you release it into the air, it turns into water, and binds with oxygen. But it's so incredibly energy intensive that you're going to have to have an energy source that, that does it and then does it cleanly. Because if you're using, I don't know, say, natural gas to make hydrogen, you're actually making things worse. Yes. You know, so, but what about the green hydrogen technology that I hear about with some of these specialists? Well, so, so there you go. So green hydrogen, the concept of green or clean hydrogen, as many people like to call it, is, is where you split hydrogen from water. But if you do that and you want to keep it clean, and remember, we've got to think about the entire life cycle here. We can't think about just the emissions when you're burning the fuel yes, in an engine yeah. or using the fuel in an engine. You have to think about the whole life cycle. You know, from the value origin- chain, Yeah, exactly. The, the whole thing, the, the, the total life cycle of of energy production, right? So, so then you need a green or a clean or a non is it a true zero emitting energy source that mm-hmm. provides you the energy to split that hydrogen from oxygen in water. And if you're going to do that, then 
you, well, some people say, well, we can maybe use solar power or wind power to do so. But you know, you have to remember that the, the energy density of wind and solar and the intermittency of the source means that we can't rely on it. So, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a false prophet, I think, uh, mm -hmm. to believe that you know we can fill the oceans with with wind turbines that have to be made from steel and concrete and fiberglass and, and whatever else that goes in there, and somehow think that that's going to produce enough hydrogen to power this world. You can do it with nuclear, you can do it with atomic energy, and you can do that very efficiently, and especially these new. Um, generation this new generation of reactors that, that we're developing sulfides, for example which is extremely high temperature you can use both the electricity yeah. and the high temperature that you get from these to get a higher efficiency and therefore drive down the cost of producing that clean hydrogen mm. i think you know to be fair i think hydrogen is one of those things that you know, keep coming around you know, it's been around now so i think it's a fourth or the fifth time this this hydrogen <laughs> idea comes around and i think we should be careful what we wish for Hydrogen is also the most explosive thing that exists around. You know, yes. it's not not for the faint-hearted. Be very careful. Um, before I move on to the next question, I, I've been talking with a number of um, hydrogen specialists um, um, who, like you, have sort of very interesting thoughts on it. And some have talked about blue and even turquoise hydrogen. I've not heard of turquoise hydrogen. Have you heard mm -hmm. of turquoise hydrogen? Mm -hmm. No, I, I don't know. You could you could probably apply you know all manner of different you know colours from the palette here you know with various various nuances. Um, turquoise, there's pink. You know, there's uh, I'm sure there's something going to come up with, with all manner of different colours for it. You know, at the end of the day, Elaine, it's it, it's it's a way of describing. It's a way of differentiating it from from. You know, in, in a nuance from something else. At the end of the day, you don't have that many choices. You either do it from water or you do it from hydrocarbons. Right? And then if you're going to do it from water or hydrocarbon, either way, you have to find the energy source that's going to allow you to do so. Blue hydrogen in particular is the one they say is going to take hydrocarbons, so take methane, right, which is CH4, so it's one carbon atom and four hydrogen atoms combined into methane, and you split those four hydrogen atoms from it, and that comes from natural gas. So, mm. so you're splitting it from natural gas, and then you have to capture that carbon atom. That's not a trivial thing, and it certainly isn't a proven technology. I mean, people have been trying carbon capture for you know for the longest time, and you know it's, it's not it's yeah. not something that we've made a lot of progress with. So blue is where you capture the hydrogen. Actually, it's it's dirty hydrogen. And if you yeah. if you're split if you're splitting hydrogen from natural gas, and and you're um, and you're doing that with you know. With, and you're causing with, uh, more harm than the actual good that you're... Well, you are. I mean, you know, this is just basic arithmetic. I mean, you don't need to be a, a professor of physics or chemistry to understand this. Exactly. I mean, so, so there is an awful lot of awful lot of green washing or blue washing or turquoise washing or whatever you want to call it. I mean, you know, we have to be real about this. You know, energy is, you know, what energy is. Einstein proved it in 1915. You know, energy is the is the mass, you know, multiplied by the... By the, mm. by the, by the so you feel there's still quite a bit of work to be done in the hydrogen space, so you're firmly still in atomic energy. This, this, this is an interesting one, the next question. Um, well, gradually, new markets and new opportunities will emerge in the maritime industry uh, as a result of the decarbonisation drive. Can you, for my listeners, hypothesise on, on, on some of them? I think you have... Um... You, you've got to think of this like a fork in the road, Elaine. We, we've, we've sort of at a point now where we either go down the road of 
compliance, where we're constantly just trying to comply with new rules that are coming forward. You know, we're creating new fuels and we're going down that road and that may create opportunities for people to make new fuels, et cetera. But we're sort of going down the road of, you know, less energy with more waste. Or we have the other way, which is where we try to create a, if you like, a new dawn for this industry and for, for other industries for, for that matter, not just talking about shipping here, we're talking about all heavy industry, where you have sort of true zero emissions at the very center. It's just one of those, it's not an aftermarket add-on, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the beating heart of the whole thing. And, you know, then you can start rethinking the way ships work, what ships do. Um, so I think, you know, one of the great, one of the great results of this, and this will play out over a very long time, I mean, probably long after I've, I've retired from this, from this job, is where you've got, you know, the, 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 the industrial, some, some of the industrial production, some of the materials processing, some of the distribution centers for this 90% of global trade that we're talking about, um, you know, moving out offshore to coming off the land and into the sea. I and mean, the sea is the limit here. Right? The, the oceans are you know, an, an enormous resource. We have to look after them. We have to do it without polluting them. You know, we can do this with offshore processing and offshore terminals. And we can then have you know, electric ships going from terminal to terminal and then changing the distribution networks of industrial components and commodities, et cetera, by, by doing that, rather than having ships going from terminal to terminal or port to port and then loading, loading from land and discharging onto land and then distributing it around that way. You know, I think we've got an enormously, uh, an enormous opportunity here to sort of rethink the way that these value chains actually, actually function. Of course, this is, this is highly nuanced as well. You know, it's different in the, in the, in the transportation and, and distribution of foods than it is from minerals or, or energy, but you know, there, there is a, there's a great opportunity. I think also, you know, you've got this opportunity to see you know, clean, green, you know, benevolent energy technologies like these molten salt reactors starting to, you know, green the ports. That changes the, that changes the, the, the contract, if you like, between the shipping industry and, and the public. Um, you know, ports are notoriously, you know, dirty and polluted places. And you start to clean those up with technologies that, that power those ports as the ships are in port or you know, permanently. And then you start to see that transplant itself up the, up the supply chains and, and you start to see mines being um, run in, 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 you know, with clean energy, you start to see processing plants being run by clean energy distribution centers and, and haulage, et cetera, it starts to move towards, you know, energies, using energy that's produced in a clean, green way, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from, from, a, from a distributed network of, of, of machines rather than from these you know, single large power station types. I, I think there is a, there's a, a new, there's a there's a new order emerging from this, and you know it's all been yeah. driven by the need to to stop emitting you know the exhaust fumes from fossil fuels. But it all it all just sounds quite promising. And um, going forward, so I, I assume you must be quite excited within your industry about what's to come. Surely, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I think if we look at the future with pessimistic eyes, if the glass is going to be half empty as regards our future, then you know, we're not really going to get anywhere. Um, you know, we're just going to spin around in circles and we'll be here 10 years. You know, Greta Thunberg will be in her 30s and, and, and we'll, still be, we'll still be talking about the same things. We've got to look at, we've got to look at what we've got and we've got to use it in the best way. And we've got to find, uh, you know, the sort of 
the cracks in the in the walls, if you like, that we can get to the other side. And, and that's that's the key thing. And that's a positive thing. I see this as a, an enormous opportunity. I see an opportunity, an enormous opportunity for, 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 for industrial change. I think this is the, the second industrial revolution, yeah. actually. Yeah. And I think we're coming to the end of the first one. We started back in the 1840s, 50s. And, you know, now, now, this is the end of it. So there is a new one coming. You know, and that, that positive view as to what we can bring from that isn't doesn't have to be dystopian. It doesn't have to be negative. It doesn't have to be one that, you know, where we where we have to, you know, invade motorway motorways to 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 uh, to to come, you know, to, to make the point that you know the world is burning. You know, we can we can change this, and we can do this with with technology. We can do it with with capital. We can do it with regulation. We can do it with opportunities. At the end of the day, if it doesn't if it doesn't work economically. You know, it's not going to be it's not going to be adopted. So we need something that that works. And I think we can do it with our, our, our most important asset, which is our human resource and our minds. And I should have asked this question earlier. Something you said um, prompted me to to ask this. Um, and also, while doing my research for this conversation, I came across shore power technology and, and found this quite fascinating. Can you tell us about the developments in this technology? What's happening here? I mean, it is a it is an interesting time because the idea that we can use vast tracts of land to generate intermittent power that will then provide electric power to ships while sitting in ports mm -hmm. um, so, so that so that they can turn off their engines and not pollute the port you know it's a, it's a noble thought but you know if you're going to have a hundred square kilometers of the land around the port taken up by wind towers and, and solar panels and batteries etc to be able to do this um i'd say this is this is not a sustainable way forward you know we can't do this a thousand million times over because we just you know shouldn't be you know wasting nature in this kind of way the the way we see it is that if you've got the large you know these large ships that come into ports and berth alongside either a jetty or a or a quayside depending on what kind of ship that they are why should those ships not have the port plug into them i mean this is a floating power station effectively right mm -hmm. you've got this an awesome power on board the ship so instead of the ship turning off its engines and using the intermittent power from 100 square kilometers of wind turbines which may or may not be turning at the time that you get there I mean, look, look at the weather in, in europe over the last uh, over the summer it's been hardly any wind at all i mean you wouldn't be able to do this if you if you had if you have these ships come in, you know they 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 lower down the amount of energy coming out of the the reactor because you don't need as much as much power, and then the port plugs into the ship, and the ship is powering the port while she's in there. Why not? What they should get power the gantry cranes that move boxes on and off container ships. You know the the, the pumps that are you know loading and discharging tankers and you know, mm -hmm. you know the conveyors etc. That the grabs that that take take you know commodities on and off bulk carriers. You start to you start to be able to see how you know these floating power stations actually start to green these ports. So I think the idea of you know small ships that come in that don't have that kind of a should then be able to take that energy, um, that power, if you like, that comes from. I mean, I would rather have you know these large ships providing the power in port than to destroy nature around ports. And, you know, if you're going to rewrite the, the the contract with the public around shipping and, and and energy, clean energy, the idea that you would you would you would you know. Uh, 
swamp a neighborhood or an area with with intermittent renewable sources is, is, is not, not something that I have a great deal of faith in. But I do think I do think we can do this with with, with the with the reactor technology we're talking about here. And you know that's that's powerful stuff. You can yeah. charge batteries, of course. It is indeed. I thought it was such a fascinating thing, and thanks for explaining that um, for my listeners. Okay, let's move on um, to a slightly different topic, but it's one that is talked about, and it will not go away, especially in the UK. Has Brexit um, played a role, positive or negatively, in the ease in which new solutions are, are reached, developed, signed off, and deployed or distributed in the, in your in your industry? Well, Elaine, thankfully, this is not a <laughs> this is not a, a, a political podcast, so I'll, no. I'll steer, steer clear of, 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 of any any judgments around business around podcast. Brexit. Business podcast. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, we we we've chosen to base our business in the UK largely. Well, one of the reasons is because of Brexit. Um, you know, it is. I mean, one of one of the nine, one of the good effects of Brexit um, is that the UK is free to make decisions outside of the the, the European uh, the European um, Union, and, and and specifically that means for what we do is that the the UK Atomic Energy Regulator, the Office of Nuclear Regulation, the government here now stand free to make decisions based on what they feel. Is the right thing without having to reach consensus across a European Union, where you have an awful lot of, um, if you like, what should we call them? Um, bureaucracy. Yeah, the bureaucracy, but also also the sort of um, activist green movements, which are which are you know anti-nuclear for for for, for uh-huh. all sorts of reasons, right? So so you know, and, and that's that's often one that's based on of little knowledge or some. Uh, some, some secondhand information that comes through on old and conventional technology and doesn't really open it, open its eyes to these new things. So, so the fact that Britain is now in a position where you know you can you can lay the path for new technologies that that, that can be, be be rolled out into heavy industry and, 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 and heavy transport in a completely you know independent way mm-hmm. um, is incredibly important. I mean, just just this summer, so in August, the the UK Maritime Coast Guard Agency, which is the representative of the United Kingdom at the International Maritime Organization, the global regulator of shipping, made a decision that they were going to pass you know, the nuclear code for shipping into law. Right? So this is going to happen before Christmas of this year. The UK will adopt the IMO SOLAS Chapter 8, Safety of Life at Sea Convention Chapter 8, which deals with you know, regulation on nuclear ships. Mm-hmm. They will pass it into law in this country to lay the pathway for that to be possible. I'm not saying they're going to fund it or encourage it or do anything specific with it. It's just a way of, you know, if you like, kicking down the door and saying, right, well, at least the path forward is open now. So you can get these things done if you have the technology and the capital and the will to do it. And I think that's just something that could not have been done previously. So things like that are are coming coming through. We're seeing we're seeing bits of these things coming through in, in different parts of, of, of our sphere. And you know, looking at the future in a positive way, and we have to do this, um, you can say, well, you know, at least that's at least that's something. Well, that, that's actually quite interesting how it has a positive effect for, for your business. 
no, I, I wasn't expecting that. So thank you for that. That was quite fascinating. Um, and I'm sure my listeners would appreciate that as well. Um, let's look at another common topic on Head's talk. It's the effect of digitalization on things. Apparently, um, there's another thing I've read. This is all part of the research in just before talking to you. It is seen as one of the maritime sustainable trends. Um, I couldn't get my head around that. Um, I read this. And what are you doing here with digitalization that could be considered sustainable, a sustainable move in the right direction? It's, it's a fascinating thing, isn't it, Elaine? You know, sustainability yeah. is one of those words that's become the sort of the, uh, the, the buzzword of, of the hour. Um, mm. Sustainability basically means that, you know, we can continue to do it forever without, you know, having a negative effect on the environment around us. That's what sustainability means. Digital, uh, digital's role in that is, uh, I think, initially fairly tenuous, but we can use digital technologies and digital communication um, technologies in ways that enable us to get higher efficiencies out of the things that we do. So, you know, you take it into shipping, for example, this idea that you now have, I mean, we've had satellite links onto ships for, for the longest time, you know, you communicate by, by, by email with ships and you, know, you can send electronic files to ships and do all sorts of things. And of course, ships send data back to shore. They send you know, data about, you know, the oceans around them, their position, you know, things that are going on on board, etc. You, you can you can see how, you know, this idea of the Internet of Things, you know, all the components of a large ship connected to a node and to some sort of sensor that's streaming data into a satellite and sending it back to an office where it is analyzed by, by large algorithms running on machines, not quite artificial intelligence, but it's certainly sort of machine learning type systems. That, that then find ways to make to optimize the operation of that ship. So that's 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 a trend that's coming. I don't think that's anything unique to shipping. I think this is something we're seeing everywhere. I think specifically for what we're doing here, I think this is this is an interesting thing because you know one of the one of the trends here is you you, you move towards autonomous shipping. Now, autonomous shipping doesn't mean unmanned ships, but it means that some of the critical functions of monitoring what happens on the ship and where that ship is, is partially done on, on, on board, and it's also partially done by, you know, uh, by, by people in the office or, or computers that sit on land. So you can start to optimize these things. Now, autonomous ships are interesting in the sense that you can start to see certain uh, emergency controls you know, ships in distress or ships that have been attacked by pirates or ships that need, you know, a, um, you know captains or ships need, need a helping hand with, with making decisions, that this can be done, you know, by, um, on, on a fact-based um, set of data rather than a hunch, you know, done, uh, you know, from, from the office or done from shore. So, so we see this as something that is, is an essential part of it, you know, with a nuclear-powered ship where you've got a fully electric ship, well, if you have a fully electric ship, you could you know, really have all the conditions in the world for having a fully electronic ship. And if you have a fully electronic ship, then, you know, that's really a platform for these digital technologies, these emerging digital technologies to really come into their own. It's difficult to digitalize a fully mechanical ship but yeah. it's, you know, much easier. Uh, it's a much better platform. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a much better platform to do that from if you've got a fully sort of electronic, fully wired ship, if you like, that's, uh, that's operated electrically. So, you know, we, we see it as, a, as an essential part of uh, you know, 
the, the future of this. I mean, you know, we need to do be able, we need to be able to do more, we need to be able to do better, we need to be able to do it faster, and we need to be able to do it, as you say, sustainably by not polluting the environment around us. These are the conditions that need to be in place for it. Thanks for that. That was a lot clearer than the actual article I read. So <laughs> that makes a lot of just throwing, as you say, throwing sustainable in every other sentence. Okay, let's end this episode of Heads Talk and talk about your organisation and the work you are doing. Um, we will put a link in the episode description for my listeners so they can get more details about it. But so, Mikhail, what are the aims and objectives of Core Power? Power is a um, has it occupies a unique position in this market, and we've spent a lot of our time making sure that we've positioned ourselves in this space. There are very few other companies that do what we do. In fact, I can't think of, of any actually uh, yet, although they will come. If you can imagine the the deployment of, um, if you can imagine the deployment of, you know highly advanced modern atomic technologies in heavy industry and heavy transport. It's much more than just, if you like, taking that new technology and then putting it into that asset. There's a lot of connectivity between that, that power unit, if you like, and what it actually powers and the, and the, and the environment around it. You know, on a ship, for example, you've got the the, the reactor is the power source, then you have you know, the, the power conversion system, you have the electrical distribution system, then eventually you have the generators that turn the propellers and anything else that happens on that ship. Around that you know, sits the controls and the functions of monitoring and, and managing and optimizing that system so that it's always functioning at, 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 its, at its best for the situation that it's in. And around that, you have the the, the standards, the classification um, rules for you know, designing, building, operating, and decommissioning these systems. And around that, you have the insurance wrapper. And then around that, you have the, 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 the maritime regulations and the national regulations and port state rules that need to be applied and need, need, need to be sort of moved around this. And on the outside of that, again, you've got nuclear regulations, right, which are specific to this reactor technology. So there is a whole ecosystem. So we think of we think of what core power's job really is to, if you like, be the motherboard, if you like. So you can imagine the motherboard is sort of the central part of the function of the computer. And you can put all sorts of things on that motherboard. You can put manner of different little components to make it do what you, so you want to do. So the sort of modular approach to creating a propulsion system that sits inside these large assets and floating production assets and industrial, um, you know, in, in industrial power and heat that you could have for aluminum smelters and steel plants, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, so we're enabling this technology and creating, if you like, a product, which is the full, um, you know, um, turnkey solution for industry to, to tap into this. And there's more to that than meets the eye, but that I think is where we're at. So we're looking at, we're looking at, you know, the next 10 years really as a very high growth um, opportunity mm. for us. And we've grown a lot in the last three years since we, since we started up and that, that will continue to grow. I mean, eventually, I mean, you know, also the other thing is, of course, we, we you know, we, we, 
were funded by the industry. You know, we have ship owners and shipping organizations and large commodity traders, et cetera, you know, investing in, in us so we're able to do this. So, you know, we're very well capitalized. We're in a good position to do this. We have exclusivities with certain technologies. We're developing that sort of ecosystem around it. And it's a, it's a, it's a in my opinion, it's a, it's, a, it's a lovely new industrial adventure. Oh, I can see how your finance technology and sort of shipping industry expertise really play into this. That's very, very interesting. Thank you for that. And once again, as I said to my listeners, a link will be in the episode description on all the platform podcast platforms. So take a look and find out what more about what Core Power is doing. Mikhail Bo, it's been a maritime fest and a pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you, Elaine. It's been it's been fun. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.